Okay, how's everybody doing this morning? Good, we're in good form, excellent. Good, that'll help. Um, so we are in week four of our Ecclesia series. For those of you who don't know me, and thank you for the kind words from uh, John. Uh, I'm Ian Somerville, I'm one of the pastors here. It has been my pr- the privilege of my life to be uh, part of this ministry from before it began. And uh, I just love what God's doing with us. I love what God's doing in our community. I love what God's doing in our town. And I'm going to say towns as well, because we, for those of you who don't know, we have another congregation down in Downpatrick who are meeting this morning and worshiping Jesus and giving it stacks down there too. Uh, so God is on the move and we are very thankful for what God's doing. Uh, so in, in other news, um, Obviously, uh, I'm married to, uh, to Jill, and uh, Jonah is my son. And anybody who saw Jonah this morning will see that Jonah was wearing Crocs and socks. Okay, I've already received a lot of abuse about that. Well, there's a very simple reason for that this morning. It was what we describe in our house as a daddy fail. Uh, Jill was like, quickly, get him out of the car. We're late. So I scooped him. Didn't realize he had no shoes on. He just had socks. But, but... Daddy's success, I actually had a pair of shoes in the car. They just happened to be Crocs. So, yeah, you can give me abuse for that. That's totally fine. Um, So, uh, we're in week four of our Ecclesia series. Uh, First couple of weeks, John talked to us about what our mission is, as in, like, why we're here and what it is we're actually trying to do as a church. Last week, uh, I broke down our outreach model from Acts 2. And if you really want to understand why we do outreach the way we do, go back and listen to to last week and uh, up on our YouTube or our Facebook um, or on our website. You'll find it there and you'll get a good breakdown of what we believe about outreach and why we do outreach the way we do. Uh, It's all taken from Acts 2. And then I said some controversial stuff about worship and basically got off the stage really quickly. Um, So I'm going to start there um, in a minute. But uh, we did something together last week. Uh, I fired out a few questions to you. Uh, Can we put up the word cloud that we made? So for those of you who weren't here last week, um, we had a QR code, you scanned it, and you put in some answers to the question, what are your favorite things about church? And there are some awesome things up here. You'll see, so anything in big, the bigger the word is, the more people said that thing, okay? So uh, that's how word clouds work. I'm not being patronizing. It's just you may, may not have encountered one before. So, this, uh, so the big ones were worship, uh, community, big in the center, people, uh, fellowship, and there's actually a few different spellings of fellowship around there. The teacher in me wants to get the red pen out and correct that, but we're, we're okay. Um, and then we've got f- uh, family, friends, Holy Spirit, uh, the Word of God, and presence of God. All those things kind of feature slightly bigger than the other things. However, there are a few disturbing things up there. Um, there's, there is one up there, and you might be able to see it from where you're sitting. It's a kind of wee orange one that the sign said, Ian's wit. Now, I'm not sure whether that is somebody saying they like me being funny, or they're actually trying to spell Ian Watt, who I, descri- <laughs> who I describe as the good and useful Ian in this house. Um, uh, and it's just a misspelling, because there's a few misspellings up there. Um, the other one's bass players. Okay, so there's at least one person either is a bass player, or somebody who wants the phone number of one of our bass players. Okay, but they're, uh, they're, they're married, all of them. I think they're all married, so <laughs> tough, luck if it, tough luck if it was that. And most disturbingly, and this person has won themselves at least one free TT session, uh, somebody who put up John's bum. Okay? If that's the reason you're coming to Journey Community Church, you really do need to come for a TT session, all right? Um, I'll even pay for it for you. 
Uh, now, again, I thought, well, that must be Rachel, and that's really sweet. Rachel says it's not her. That's all, I, that's all I'm saying. So, um, yeah, it was a bit of fun. And again, we saw some amazing things about church. And I actually think that she was a really healthy picture of church, to be honest with you. Um, so we're going to move on from that. And as I, say, as, this, as I say this week, I'm going to pick up where I left off with. So I'm going to say the controversial statement that I said last week for anybody who wasn't here. And then I'm going to unpick it slightly. What we're going to do after that, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about worship and uh, kind of a biblical, we're not going to do like a, I'm not going to do a full apologetics in worship, we don't have time for that, uh, but I'm going to look at what worship should, should do and what worship should mean in this house, and then uh, we're going to look at why we actually come to church, why are we here, okay, so that's what we're doing this morning, uh, I want to spend more time on the why we're here, because that's what I was really going to talk about this week, I just didn't have enough time from last week to finish off what I was doing, so it's my fault. So here we go. Uh, the controversial statement I said last week about worship was, I don't come to church to worship Jesus. Okay? Um, yep, yeah, and I'm, I'm repeating it again. And again, hear me out. It is not as bad as you think. Um, we can worship Jesus anywhere, anytime, any place. We do not need to come to a special building at a special time with special people to worship Jesus. Okay? Um, we have full access to God wherever you are, wherever you might B, you have the same access to God in your office, in your classroom, in your, uh, in your bedroom as you do when you're here in church, okay? However, I don't go to worship church, I don't go to, <laughs> try that again, I don't go to church to worship Jesus, but I do go to church to worship Jesus with other people, okay? There is something about the church gathered, the ecclesia, and that's what this means. There is something about the church gathered when we come together and we raise a song together and we raise a sound together and we worship together, whether we've had a good week or a bad week or something in between, that it takes us from our own situations, from our own stuff, and it brings us into a place where we connect with Jesus. What happens then in that place is we start to look past ourselves and we start to look and think about other people. And more importantly, we, we, and John talked about it this morning, John talked about this idea that we get, you know, the byproduct of worship is that we get an encounter with God. And that encounter changes us and it shapes us and it fills us up so that when we go into our office and our classroom and wherever else it is that we go, we're bringing that conscious awareness and that conscious presence of Jesus with us, okay? So to have a little biblical look at this, because it is important to, to go biblical and to try and see a biblical model of this, and operating in a teaching gift, I always want to go to the scripture, I always want to look at the Bible when it comes to these things. And I could take us through Psalms where it talks about instructions about how to worship, we could go into the Old Testament, we could look at the, the temple model, we could do all those things, but we're not going to do that this morning. What we are going to do is we're going to take a look at, it's a passage in John chapter 12, which for me is a really powerful image of what worship is and what worship does, okay? Um, so I'm going to read this, and uh, I said, say this passage, it's from John chapter 12. I'm reading it in the, in the ESV, it'll appear up on the screen, you can grab it in your Bibles, your phone, whatever, whatever it is good for you. Do encourage us always to bring our Bibles to church, actual Bibles. I know we've all got a Bible app. I like my actual Bible. I'm old now, okay? I'm nearly 40. I'm old. I'm just about to move into that next tick box, and it's scary. 
All right, so I acknowledge that. There's a few gray hairs here. Of course, Ian, you don't look old. Yeah, thank you, guys. No, but, uh, so uh, let's, look, let's look at this, John chapter 12. Uh, Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him supper there. And Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Now, I'm going to stop there. I could have started on at the next verse, but I just like this picture. This is Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead, just chilling out around the table, having supper. I want you to picture that. You see, we often hear these stories about, you know, Lazarus getting raised from the dead, Jairus' daughter getting raised from the dead, and we don't see the next. This is like a wee glimpse into the kind of after. This is Jesus' community. This is people that Jesus is in, uh, you know, in connection with, and we see Lazarus. Like, just think about how amazing that is. He's just sitting around the table with somebody who was raised from the dead. It's just a regular Tuesday for Jesus, you know, Okay. So, and in the middle of this surreal dinner with somebody who's been raised from the dead, Mary takes a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Okay, does that happen at many of your dinner parties? Like, I'm just thinking what I would do if somebody that I was at a dinner party and somebody just went... Hey, take your shoes off there. Let me just get the perfume out and start rubbing it on somebody else's feet and wiping it with their... You'd be going, hang on here. Is everything all right? Does this person need a TT session? Because this isn't normal. Okay. Then we get this next strange bit. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold? For 300 denarii and given to the poor. Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. Therefore Jesus said, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you don't always have me. So, first of all, Jesus isn't having to go with the poor there. He's really having to go at the heart of Judas. Um... I want us to notice two things about this passage. We could spend a long time on this. We just, we're not going to spend a long time on it. There's two things, two main things I want you to get out of this. Number one, and I think nearly the most important thing, is the fragrance of worship fills the house. Okay? That's what this picture tells us. The fragrance of worship, that bowing down at Jesus' feet and releasing our perfume, releasing our song, releasing our sound, releasing our prayers onto Jesus is like incense that fills the atmosphere and the place that we are. And you know this, you instinctively know this. If you walk into an old church building where they've been worshiping God for, for hundreds, thousands of years, there's something about that place. You can sense that the Holy Spirit has moved here. My dad was a church violent minister and one of the churches that he was in, uh, in a little church um, uh, just outside Rathryland, for anybody who knows that part of the world, uh, there had been an incredible revival had happened there where, uh, where John Wesley had preached and literally like hundreds of people had come from all over the country. Say they had to build on like an extra wing to the church to hold all these people that had got saved. And every time you stepped into that building, you're like, wow, something happened here. There was a fragrance of worship released here that we still encounter today. And you see, that's what happens. You see, 
You go to a football match, go to a rugby match, go to any sort of sporting event where there's people shouting and cheering and singing and jumping up and down and dancing. You don't bat an eyelid. However, when you come into church and you see somebody waving a flag and you're dancing and kids are having fun and we're shouting, people get weirded out. So those acts of shouting and singing and dancing and lifting hands, all those things we don't think are weird, but in the context of church, people go, ooh, they're a bit happy clappy in there. There must be something going wrong in that journey community church. Sure, they lift their hands. People find it weird. Here's the thing. What they're reacting to is the spiritual aspect of worship. Because when we're doing that, we are releasing a fragrance. It changes something, it shifts something in the atmosphere. And if you're not in that realm, it can seem really weird. So this is your first time in Journey, and you've been encountering worship for the first time. You might go away going, yeah, it was a bit weird. But it's not weird. What's happening is there's something spiritual going on. We're releasing a fragrance, and we're changing the atmosphere. And thank the Lord we have changed the atmosphere in this time. John talks about it all the time. We talk about it. We pray about it. But we have done something in this town, releasing a sound, releasing a song, lifting up the name of Jesus, and the atmosphere of this place is different. Antrim's actually a cool place to live now. Antrim used to be a wick place to live. In fact, it was the last place I wanted to live. When Jill and I got married, I was like, come on, let's live in Coleraine. And Jill was like, no, Antrim's a bit more central. So we ended up in Antrim, but God planted us here. And I'm going to come back to that later. Second thing I want you to notice about worship is worship is costly. 300 denarii might not mean much to you, but that's a year's wages. A year's wages. Now, I wonder how we would react this morning if God said, go drop a year's wages into somebody else's bank account. Or go waste a year's wages on perfume that you're going to pour in somebody's feet. Now, man, I know... I've bought many good perfumes for my wife over the years. They're flipping expensive, but I've never spent a year's wages in one, okay? And I think if I did, my wife's from Balamina, she'd probably kill me. <laughs> yeah, she would definitely kill me. Um, worship should cost us something, but here's the thing. It's easy to worship when you come in here because there's an atmosphere. There is a whole lot of other people. We talk often about, like, I used to do this thing Believe it or not, many years ago, I used to teach swimming. I know, I don't look like I'm a swimming coach. But years ago, we used to teach swimming. And one of the things we did on the last kind of fun day uh, when we were with the kids, um, we would get them all to start walking in the same direction around the outside of the, of the small pool. And they start walking and walking and walking and then start running and get faster. And suddenly, without very much effort, if you tell them to stop, whew, they keep going. You almost create like a whirlpool. Well, that's what happens in a house of God like this. We're all sort of pressing towards the same direction and we stir up the waters. And you come in here and it's very easy to get swept along with worship. It's very easy to get swept along with the presence, even if you've never encountered it before because there's movement happening. Does that make sense? However, that movement comes at a cost. Worship comes at a cost. See, what's, what we're supposed to be doing, this shouldn't be the only time you worship in the week. This shouldn't be the, if this is the only time you worship in the week, when you come into the church, you need to fix that, okay? You need to be spending daily time with Jesus in worship. It should cost you. It could cost you sleep. 
It might cost you money. It might cost you a whole lot of things. It should cost you. And what's supposed to happen is we pay that cost during the week. We do everything we can. We sacrifice. Uh, we, we get up at the awkward hours. We do all those things. Um, we do our job to the best of our ability. And in that, it's all a sacrifice. It's all a cost. So when we come here and we do this together, we lift up a sound that is your week and my week coming together to lift up the name of Jesus over everything that's happened and everything that's going to happen next week. Amen. That's what we do as the church gathered when we come and worship. We pay the cost. We do the stuff during the week. We make the hard choices. We make the right choices about what we're doing towards the people in our lives, in our businesses, in our whatever. And that cost we bring together as a song and a sound of praise to Jesus on a Sunday. And what it does is it means if you've had a rubbish week and I've had a good week, my sound can encourage you and we encourage each other. And hopefully we leave this place having had an encounter with Jesus and leaving a lot of the bad stuff behind and empowered, ready to go to the week. We get that, as John talked about this morning, byproduct of worship as we get an encounter with Jesus. Okay? So, uh, I do want to look at this idea of why we come to church. Why do we do this? Um, I know everybody here is going to be coming from a really different perspective on all of this stuff. Uh, your story and your journey of how you got here is yours. It's your own story. Um, so, I'm going to tell you mine. I'm going to tell you my story about how I got here. And some of this will resonate with you. And for some of this, the words will go through your mind what a tube, all right? In fact, I find it really hard to put this story together, not emotionally, but really to try and piece it together, to piece my history with church together. I find it really difficult because my wife would like you to know that I was a complete plonker, okay? I have been, I've, I've gone up and down, John's laughing because he knows a whole lot of this story and he features in a whole lot of this story, but I was really poor on this issue for a long time. So started off, and it starts off as a fairly familiar story for lots of people in Northern Ireland. I was brought up in a good home, okay? Brought up in a good Christian home. Uh, my parents were Christians. My grandparents were Christians. And they were all deeply involved in church. In fact, we went to church four times on a Sunday. This isn't a joke. This is for real. We went to church Sunday school. Then we went to church. Then in the afternoon because my grandparents were deeply involved with a, a, a gospel mission hall. We went to the mission hall Sunday school in the afternoon, and then we went to church on Sunday evening. So by the time I became a teenager, I had been to church more than most adults have been in their entire lives. I was pretty much churched out. Uh, but the thing from that season of my life was it established in me the sovereignty of God, and it established in my heart the need for a deep connection and relationship with Jesus. And I am very thankful for my upbringing. Um, in my teenage years, I decided I didn't want to go to the church that my family were going to anymore. And I decided I was going to go off to the local, non-denominational, charismatic, crazy church in the town. Mainly because at that stage I was a musician and they used guitars and worship. So that's where I wanted to go. So off I went, and I got very deeply involved in this church. I was involved in the youth. I was involved in worship. I was involved in every part of it. However, I was an arrogant little 
tube. <laughs> I believed that I was more spiritual and I, was, I had a better vision of what the church should be than anybody else. And my leaders were all wrong. And when my leaders asked me to do something and I didn't think it was right, I'm not doing that. Actually, I was an act of rebellion. I thought, I genuinely thought I knew better. That led to lots of conflict in my life over the years with leaders. And my arrogance and my stupidity and my pig-headedness ended up with me getting really, really hurt. And by the time I had finished university, I was done with church. In fact, I had, if you'd asked me at that stage, I would have told you I will never darken the doors of a church again. I was bitter, I was resentful, and I was utterly distrustful of all church leadership, which is hilarious given what I do now. <laughs> and you see, I used that experience as a great excuse. And at that point in time, there was a movement in the church which was called post-modernity within the church. And I embraced this. Now, this has had lots of names over the years. This is kind of the first flavor of it was post-modernity. It's since been called uh, uh, the deconstructing church and progressive Christianity. I embraced that before it was a thing. And I deconstructed my faith and I got it down. And I came to the conclusion, I am the church. I don't need anybody else. I don't need a building. I don't need to be connected to other believers. I'm connected to the Holy Spirit. I'm connected to God. That's all that matters. And I'm totally fine. I was not totally fine. Before very long, I'm pursuing that with lots of people around me who believe the same thing. I was a broken mess. And that's how I entered marriage. That's how I entered marriage. I went into marriage. When Jill and I got married, for the first two years of our marriage, I was deconstructing everything that I knew about church. And I refused to go to church or to join a church. And I tortured my poor, good Christian wife. She would tell you I'm a complete plonker. You can ask her. She will use those words or probably something a little bit uh, more descriptive. And I got deeper and deeper into this rabbit hole. And I got more and more broken with it until eventually Jill persuaded me, come on, let's try the church closest to us. And I went, I'll keep you happy. Man, who's ever done something just to keep your wife happy? You see, they're not putting their hands up. Those hands aren't going up. Yeah. It was the best decision I ever met. I ever made. She was right. I knew in my heart of hearts Jill was right and that we needed to be connected to church. I was too prideful and I was too stubborn and I was too pig-headed at that stage to do anything about it. So we went into a church which will remain nameless, but in that place we encountered John Ash. This is where John Ash steps into the story. John Ash, even at that stage, was a charismatic, visionary leader who was headstrong and who knew what he was doing and what he wanted. I detested him. <laughs> I, he was everything that I had run away from church to avoid. He had certainty. He had assurance. He knew what he believed. He knew what he was doing. And I was utterly distrustful of him. However, John Ash was the person, and he was the leader in my life, that would just not go away. <laughs> he just wouldn't go away. And before very long, we got sucked into leading the youth in that church. And John uh, and I and uh, Jill and a whole team of people at that stage were involved in, in leading the youth in that church. And 
I wasn't even sure if church should be a thing at that point, but there I was leading a youth ministry within a church. I think that's maybe quite a common experience for youth leaders. Uh, but at that point, um, long the line, John went, I'm going to plant a church. I'm going to plant a church in Andrum. And outwardly I went, absolutely, there's no chance I'm ever going to be involved in that. That is a silly idea. But inside, there was this little voice went, you need to be part of that. You need to do that. And I was like, no, 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 John, we'll not be part of it. And John, John did ask me, John came and said, hey, Ian, I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking about putting a team together. Would you be interested in being part of it? And I went, let me think about it for a year. <laughs> and eventually, a year later, I texted John back and went, yeah, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get involved. Yeah, we, yeah we, we think this might be right. And John was like, texted you a year ago. Then I didn't text him again about it for another three months. Now, Jill would tell you at that, that stage in time, a reply from me within three months was probably fairly timely. Um, but I was wrestling with it. And I was really wrestling with it. And in the end of a very long period of time, and a lot of healing, and a lot of talking things through, I completely healed and restored and recovered my relationship with church, and particularly church leadership. Now remember, the hurt that I had was my fault. It was my arrogance, it was my stupidity, but it was there. And I did acknowledge it, and we did deal with it. And I would love to tell you that there have been no bumps in the road or no U-turns or that everything, like we just, we, we, we planted this church and it was just plain sailing. No, it has been. In fact, there have been many times along that journey where I could have taken an off-ramp. But what has happened is it's almost like God closed any possibility of coming off this. I, there's, there's no chance of me turning off this road because God has called us to do this mission together. See, people mess up. People get it wrong. People hurt us. And the problem is the church is full of people. See, the church, even with you in it, even with me in it, even with all the problems that exist in the church, is the vessel that God has chosen to bring the hope of the gospel to the world. That's what we get to carry. No matter how broken you are today, no matter how messed up you are, no matter how badly we get stuff wrong as a church, we are the people, for whatever reason, God has chosen to bring the gospel to our world. And you see, I can honestly stand before you today and tell you that I am in the best place with church that I have ever been with my life. In fact, the word I would use for my life at the minute is flourishing. My life is flourishing professionally. My family's flourishing. My spirituality's flourishing. And I want to tell you a little bit about why that is, okay? Um, my wife texted me this week, and she sent me a picture, and she said, I think you need to use this picture in your sermon on Sunday. And I learned long ago that when Jill says something like that, she's bang on the money. So I want to show a photo here. And the first photo is the one with Jonah in it. Uh, this isn't just a, a cute photo. This isn't just an excuse for me to show a cute photo of my child. Uh, but there's Jonah, and he's digging in the dirt. And again, that lovely grey thing in the background is actually green in the photo. We just have some issues. You'll, you'll notice that the sandwich, when it came up for the lunch, looked as if it had gone a bit mouldy. It's just the, uh, the, the green screen, the way we, we do this. Uh, that is a lovely green bush in the, uh, lovely green bush in the background. So Jill and I, when we moved into our house, we planted some things. Uh, we planted here uh, raspberry bushes, or a raspberry cane. Um, and the, the horticulturalists amongst you will notice 
That's not a raspberry cane. That's, in fact, a blackcurrant bush. Okay? Now, we planted two things. We planted the raspberries, and we planted the blackcurrants. The blackcurrants did really, really well. They have flourished. The raspberry cane died, disappeared, just snuffed out of existence. Let's go to the next photo. Until this year, and again, you can see me moving across that with the green screen. It's a bit weird. But in this picture, what you can see is raspberry bushes that we did not plant. Now, this is in another part of our garden that doesn't get as much sun, where the soil isn't good. In fact, that was soil that last year we had planted carrots and stuff in, and we'd grown, and we'd left it. So a bird or the cat or something has dropped a raspberry seed in there, and this has sprouted out of it. We didn't plant that. See, the picture I want you to get here, the thing I want you to understand, is that you can think you're planted in the right place. You can think that you've got the right soil, you've got the right water, you've got all the right conditions, and it doesn't work. However, when God takes you like a little seed and drops you to the place that you didn't expect and that you never planned to be in, God will cause your life to flourish. God will cause your life to flourish. Look at, I mean, that, 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 that amazes me. Now, we did, put the, we did put the canes up there and try and train it a little bit and garden it a little bit. Oh, here's Jonah. Um, <laughs> hi, darling. Love you. Uh-huh. It really breaks my heart when he does that. Um, so that raspberry cane that we planted, that we thought was in the right place, disappeared. But God has given us an incredible, flourishing, whole thing of raspberries. See, here's what I want to say to you. I'm not just flourishing because I'm here, but I know it's a big part of it. Now, I've done a lot of work on myself over the years. I spent a lot of time in the counseling room, dealing with things, chatting about things. I spent a lot of time in the presence of Jesus changing my beliefs and changing my ideas on things and the church. Maybe, just maybe, God wants to challenge you this morning to get planted where God wants you to be planted and to allow God to work in your life to cause you to flourish. You see, the point of this story is I am not ashamed to say that I need the church in my life. Not ashamed. I walked a long part of my journey without the church, and I was dead. I was like that raspberry cane. I just basically, my spirituality disappeared. See, the church is God's idea. It's not my idea. It's not John Ash's idea. It's not somebody else's idea. The church is God's idea, and he is very keen that we would be a part of it. I'm going to tie this up with a scripture here in Hebrews 10. I love this scripture. And uh, this is Hebrews 10, <laughs> verses 22 to 25. Oh. <laughs> ah, let's let him up. Come on. Do you want to say hi? Do you want to read this with me? Uh-huh. So let us draw near with a true heart, I'm going to cry, and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, 
and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, this phrase, not neglecting to meet together. Now, I know I'm preaching to the converted. You're here in church this morning. This probably ain't you, okay? But there is something that in this idea of fellowship and church that we need to meet together. And it tells us really clearly why in this scripture. Because we're here to encourage one another. For years, I was discouraged and I was broken. I now stand before you encouraged and flourishing because I've grounded myself in the church. <laughs> and this idea of encouragement, it's not simply some emotional, happy, clappy nonsense. Okay? It's to be encouraged to keep going when life sucks. It's to be encouraged to keep loving that person who is doing your head in, whether it's at work or whether it's in here or whether it's me. Okay. It's to be encouraged to challenge your beliefs, even if they're really deeply held. That's what we do when we're believers and we come together and we believe things. We get those edges knocked off each other. We need to be encouraged to read the Bible, understand it, and apply it to our lives. We also, in our house, we want you to be encouraged to step out supernaturally. And to be equipped to do that, to see miracles and healings and salvations break out in your life. And we also want to be encouraged and equipped to tell our world about Jesus. That's what the church is about. We want to be encouraged as believers, to grow as believers, to flourish as believers. And I'm not going to read this last scripture, but I'm going to tell you some homework. This week, I want you to go and I want you to go to 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, so 22 to 27, and I want you to read about the body of Christ. It's Jill's favorite passage in scripture. She's a doctor, she's interested in the body. Where are you going? I want you to read about the body of Christ and how we need each other. So stand up, we'll stand up, we'll bring the worship team back. And again, here's where I want us to end this, this week. We want to really be encouraged. And we want to really understand the idea that we need each other as a church. We are this local expression of the body of Christ. We need to be here together. We need to be in family. We need to be in community. We need to be in fellowship together. All those amazing things we talked about at the very start on our word cloud. If you need deeper connection... There's loads of stuff that we can do. We've got our small groups that you can get connected to. There's loads of people to reach out to in this church. You just have to come and talk to us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you for this local expression of your body. God, I thank you for um, everything that you're doing in our midst. Lord, I thank you for the incredible gift that you've given us in this church just to pursue you and to love you and to follow you, Lord. And for anyone who's struggling with the idea of connection to church and fellowship in this place, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would do a miraculous healing of hearts this morning, Lord. For anyone who's struggling 
with their relationship with church in general, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would just reveal to them where you're planting them, Lord, and you would release them to flourish in community. In Jesus' name, amen.